Coming up next on the Sound Rider Show, we're going to talk about global changes in the motorcycling world. We'll also talk about some increasing fares at some regional national parks. And we're also going to get into a lot of other great things in our interview segment. All that and more on the March edition of the Sound Rider Show. Support for Sound Rider and the Sound Rider Show is made possible in part by... Southbound Honda and South Sound Honda Suzuki with stores in Lacey and Olympia. Their top-rated sales and service staffs provide a simple buying experience and the knowledge to keep your motorcycle running at its best all year long. To find out more, visit them online at southsoundhonda.com. This is Chef Jeremy from Pecos Pit Barbecue. Let's open up the smoker and get the show on the road. And now live from the Crow's Nest Studio in beautiful downtown Broadview, Washington, Join us for the latest episode of The Sound Rider Show, a candid hour featuring the people, places, and things that make up the fabric of one of the top motorcycle riding destinations in the world. And now, here are your hosts, Tom Marin, Derek Roberts, and whoever else happens to drop by today. Motorcycle riders from around the Pacific Northwest and around the world, welcome to the March episode of The Sound Rider Show. We've got a jam-packed show today, Tom, and you know... I'm pretty excited when March rolls around because this is when I start to see some warmer weather, and even though it might be a little rainy, I'm thinking this is the time for resurrection. Let's get the bike going, and let's get out and start putting some miles on this month. What do you think? Yeah, I was thinking about taking that box of all the my little project parts up there, sure. the rectifier and the rear view mirrors and all that stuff, and going down and starting to uh, maybe... Uh, Twist a couple bolts on the bike. I think it's a good time for that. You know, I uh, managed to get out a little bit in February and, uh, you know, was really happy to see some sunny days. And I only think that it's going to get better here in March. And uh, I'm with you. I've started to, uh, you know, kind of do the uh, tighten the chain and some of the basic service work to make sure that I'm ready for when those stretches of two or three days, maybe in the 50s or 60s roll around, I can uh, just get out and enjoy it. Yeah, I didn't want to go around in the snow the other day. Yeah, <laughs> we did see some uh, a nice uh, dusting here in the uh, the greater downtown area. And throughout the Northwest, they got hit a little hard. But, uh, you know, snowy winters means green summers and a lot of good riding. So I just, uh, you know, I kind of try to keep that in mind. And I'm looking forward to it, man. I think it's going to be a great year. There's a lot, lot to look forward to, a lot going on. I hope we don't have a bunch of fires and smoke this summer, and I hope it's a beautiful summer. That would be nice, wouldn't it? To have that's a, what I'm used to. A little bit of a uh, relief from the forest fires that we've had over the last couple of years. But, yeah. uh, you know, speaking of fires, I was uh, I was taking a look at some of the, the Newswire headlines. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talk, you know, on and off around here about kind of the state of emergency. That's my, that's my <laughs> loose uh, transition to the fire reference there, but... The state of emergency sort of in American motorcycling, and we talk about the changing demographics and what can be done to kind of encourage the next generation. And then I was looking, and you know, I saw that Husqvarna had reported you know, one of their best years ever, and BMW had reported uh, one of their best quarters ever at the end of 2017, mm-hmm. and Yamaha Motors just declared uh, you know, their record profits. And I'm looking at all that, and I'm thinking, okay – these are some overseas brands. They all seem to be doing pretty well. And then I read also that uh, Harley Davidson's going to move forward and shut down their Kansas City plant. And I'm kind of thinking, what's going on? Is- so, so those record profits aren't exactly a mirror reflection of the U.S. market, that's, are they? That's a good point. Yeah, that, that, that does need to be mentioned. But that was kind of the greater sort of perspective I was, I was trying to think within is because if motorcycling is being successful overseas – 
is it not being successful here or are we just are we burying the lead are we are we crying wolf when maybe we don't need to well i think it's contracting here for sure yeah and and i don't think that's crying wolf i think any of the dealers will tell you it's contracting um, I even talked to the guys at the training schools, and their numbers are contracting. Sure. So it's uh, it's it's it, it you know fortunately maybe it seems to be a U.S. thing. Hopefully it won't bleed out into the rest of the world that way. Right. Um, I don't think it's certainly not an economic thing. People have money; they're just spending it somewhere else. Um, and you know we've we've said this on the show before. Uh, I guess you'd call it beating a dead horse or milking a dry cow or I don't know what, but uh, right. you know we've raised a, a generation Honda. of video gamers, yes, yeah. and people who uh, feel a lot safer working their thumbs on a small gadget in their hands and spreading their arms out and riding on two wheels. Sure, and I think uh, not only is maybe the generation that's coming up feel a little less inclined to get out there and ride motorcycles. But I think that's also been, you know, somewhat uh, encouraged as maybe that it's a much more dangerous pursuit than it actually is, don't you think? Well, I think there's certain areas of the workplace where people are in positions that they're looking for that kind of exhilaration. Sure. I think it's. Uh, I think you'll see more motorcyclists uh, as airline pilots, as law enforcement, as firefighters, as medical technicians. Um, they they work in these responsible jobs, and so when they get a motorcycle, they're the ones who tend to ride farther, and they're not afraid to do it. Uh, but when we talk about the generation that's coming up right now that we're selling all these cafe racers to, those mm-hmm. guys are maybe what one thousand, two thousand miles a year, right? And we got it. We we got to find ways to inspire them to uh, feel comfortable on that motorcycle all day and take take longer trips with those bikes. You know, I think that's a uh, that's an excellent point. I would be interested to know. If you had any ideas for what would encourage people, because I have, a, you know, I have a few thoughts on that, but I'd love to get your take as well. Because obviously, you know, we're a few years apart, and we've kind of came up in different motorcycling generations. Yeah, you know, that's why it's good having us as a co-host on the show. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, I think it's a great pairing for that reason. But what do you think? What would be your suggestions, maybe, to manufacturers and dealers to reach out to that next generation? Well, one of the things we're missing right now in the marketplace is people my age who younger people could look up to. Mm. Like we've had the, the 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 guys who were the sages, but they're all in their eighties now, you know, and and their their popularity nobody wants to learn from grandpa kind right. of thing, you know, and and we don't have the the heroes in the in the forties or the fifties age bracket. Um, you know, I'm I'm going to do my part, and uh, I was going to talk about this later when we do the calendar or the news bites. Sure. But I'm I'm going to go and do a series. The dealers don't offer seminars to their customers anymore. Right. What happened? Uh, you know, they that's what inspires them to get out and ride. When when I can get hired or brought in to do a seminar and inspire somebody by telling them, you know, this is the kind of rain gear you need to be buying, right? Not the leaky stuff that that got you all wet, you know. And 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 they they hear the things they need to hear to take that next step. Um, we don't have a lot of that right now, and so it's a problem. You know, that's true. And uh, you know, I would say kind of a little bit along those lines. Um, one of the things that I would really like to see 
the touring part of the world, not just the dual sport, but even just, you know, touring if you're going to get like a Versus or, you know, even if you were to be inclined to get a Goldwing, I don't think that would appeal to the next generation. But I'd like to see a little more crossover and reach out to some of the outdoor camping brands. Because I think that there has been a, uh, there's kind of a misconception, I think in part amongst some of these brands that they only want, you know, human powered exploration. But I really yeah. think that motorcycling is a, can be a much less impactful way to get out and explore these areas, even if you're not off the bike, but you can use some of that equipment to go camping. It makes well, more sense, right? Yeah, you just, it had me get two thoughts in my head. I don't, I don't want you inventing the Coleman pop-up tent that comes out of the trunk <laughs> of a Goldwing, okay? Too late. Pat bending, <laughs> you heard it here first. But uh, I have experience in exactly what you're talking about, and I worked with several outdoor manufacturers. They were happy to have me sell their product, but they didn't want to be associated directly right. with me because I do promote motorized sports. Yep. So, you know, just like we see uh, all these big companies like Delta and Enterprise taking away their NRA membership discounts, yep. they don't want to be associated with the NRA, and the outdoor companies don't want to be associated with the motorized uh, business. Yes, so, absolutely. No, and I 100% agree with that, but that's where I think the manufacturers need to maybe take up a a little bit of a strategic campaign and to say to these outdoor brands, hey, we're all on the same team. You know, riding a, uh, a GS or a dual sport bike, a KLR 650, that type of riding isn't like a classic Harley Davidson model, right? I mean, people are going out by themselves. They're going out in groups of two. They're camping. They're seeing mm -hmm. the sights. There's a great appreciation for nature. And I don't think you can throw out, at this point, I wouldn't even call it the, the baby with the bathwater because I think it's actually reversed. I think we're seeing a lot more interest in dual sport and touring um, as opposed to Harley Davidson, like I mentioned. And I think that's the responsibility of uh, the manufacturers to maybe make a movement in that direction. Okay, but the other thing is, if we don't have all these seminars available to people and this education available to them, they don't actually understand what all their options are, or they're not thinking about them. So they buy a motorcycle, and they think, well, I'll go to the bike night, right. and that'll be cool. And I go down to that, but you know, there there's nobody down there with a the booth that's saying, "Hey, I got a rally going on over here in the summer. I've got these five day tours going on over there. I got, uh, um, you know, uh, here's here's a book on how you and your buddies can go camping. Yep. There's, there's, they don't come in contact with that information, and that's kind of a necessary part of evolving a rider into more miles a year for a longer career in motorcycling. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, but that leads me to really one of my big questions about this supposed shift that we're seeing here in the United States. And I can't find any reliable data on this, but I wonder what is the relative size of the secondhand market compared to the new market today as it was to, say, 20 years ago? Because I think that secondhand market Things with things like Craigslist and eBay. I think it's considerably larger now. And I'm wondering if there isn't a tinge of maybe we are crying wolf when maybe a lot of these deals aren't going through traditional channels as we have seen in the 70s, 80s, and 90s where they're just going from party to party. And now that, to your point, as far as getting people educated and offering seminars, that creates a little bit of a chasm 
because now people aren't interacting as frequently with these local resources, which we need to figure out a way to mm-hmm. get them to these local resources precisely for that reason. But what do you think about the secondhand market? Do you think that that's changed over the last you know, two decades? Um, well, yes, of course it has. Yeah. Um, what I could tell you um, from 20 years ago when we started the magazine was there was one shop that sold that, – that only sold used motorcycles – they're gone now. It was right. called Bent Bike. They had some of the crappiest, worst bikes. Right. And, you know, you, you, you'd kind of have to scratch your head. If they sold a bike to some guy, you knew that thing was going to break down, like, within 100 miles. You would think with a name like Bent Bike, they could be counted on <laughs> yeah. for reliability. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even think you'd get away with that legally anymore, could you? But um, nowadays, um, I see used bike-only shops popping up more often for example, Seattle. Yep. We've got Moon Motorcycles. We've got Seattle Used Bikes. Yeah. And so there's definitely a, a secondhand, a used bike market, a pre-owned market out there. Um, but I don't think it's driving the market right now. I don't think anything's driving the market right now. Well, see, that's what I wonder because – And that's, that's part of the problem too. We don't have something that's driving the market. Well, you know, that's, that's again what I wonder because when we look at you know, some of these international reportings and I'm thinking, well, if these economies are 20 years behind, let's say, the United States, which isn't always the case in these markets, but let's just say they are for this thought exercise. If they're 20 years behind, well, then they're going to be in that phase where they're all buying new motor- motorcycles and new gear. And when we get 20 years removed, these emerging economies are going to start doing the same thing we're doing, which is exchanging these used motorcycles that can go 100,000 miles all in the secondhand market. And uh, I, I would really like to get some data on that. I'm going to do a little more research, but I think that, uh, I think that might be part of the greater sort of uh, case here in the United States that secondhand market is driving a lot of our, a lot of our sales. You're a used bike only guy. Yeah. And uh, I don't, I don't hear you talking about going out to buy a new one anytime soon. No, and I, when I look at other motorcycles, I'm looking co- continually at things that are three, four, even five years old. Despite the fact that I know I can get a DRZ 400 for 6,500 bucks, and uh, well, that would be on the top of my list for you know maybe a next model. And I'm looking at the 2018s that are coming out from Kawasaki, from Yamaha, right. From Honda, I, man, some of the most beautiful motorcycles coming to the market right now, and they are all gorgeous. Sound, you know, in terms of they're not going to break down on you. No, but nothing that was. I mean, even my nineteen ninety six. I mean, that thing's not going anywhere. It's built like a tank, you know. And uh, that's why I think that I think that we need to get some more reliable data on the secondhand market, and then figure out how to connect the dots, how to get that into the local resources, because I think that that is really part of the uh, the continuation and the perpetuation of that sort of motorcycle life. So you did a little homework, and you found out that Honda is going to do an alliance with Forever 21, yeah. which is a young girl's fashion store, and they're going to bring out a line of, of fashion accessories with the Honda brand on them to sell at the Forever 21. Is that going to drive the market? Uh, well, yes. Well, and to clarify, I'm not sure specifically <laughs> – um, I think that they also sell some men's clothes because the model that I saw was uh, was male in the mm. picture of the press release here. Well, you can tell how often, how often I shop at Forever 21. Yeah. I don't I, even lurk. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I only go down there for dates. I don't go down there to shop, uh, despite that still being well out of my age range, appropriate age range anyway. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I thought that was 
interesting. And they had like some retro inspired sort of like checkered flag uh, insignia and stuff on there. Um, but I don't think that that's going to encourage anybody to go out and buy a motorcycle. Okay, so then Harley Davidson quote says, uh, "Shareholders, we ask for your patience as sales and the stock slide." Yeah. So um, they're going to come with an electric motorcycle. Yeah. Is that going to drive the market? No. Shaking your head, no. No, it's not going to simply because the technology isn't there for that to be a reliable source of transportation and the cost is prohibitive. Exactly. It's just not there yet. I mean, look, maybe in another 10 years on the optimistic side, uh, 20 years probably more realistically before you can start riding a bike. And your current government will even want to take away any of your energy credits when you buy it. Right. You so, get them. And it's just – it's not – and again, going back to that used bike conundrum, am I going to go out and spend $3,000 on you know a used Versus with 8,000 miles on it or am I going to spend twelve grand on an electric motorcycle that can get me in ideal conditions 100 miles? Well, I'd like to go to a motorcycle shop – on a Saturday in April and see a bike filled with either all new bikes yeah. and owners or all used bikes and owners. Right. And I don't see 20, 30, 40, 50 people out there. Yeah. But I, I don't think that's going to happen in April. But it used to happen. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's, you know, maybe to, uh, to kind of touch on a little bit something we talked about last month, the role of digital publishing and reaching out to new consumers um, – what sort of role do you think that has? What sort of role do you think Sound Rider has in continuing to, to reach new riders? Well, I know what our goal is, is always to have data there for people to read, articles, yeah. data, uh, tips and tricks that do inspire them, that do evolve them, that do get them to go uh, maybe a 1,000 miles more each year. Right. Uh, and that's always been our goal for 20 years. Um, and, you know, people – gave me the cold shoulder when I said I'm doing an online magazine. Yeah. Well, you know, look at my kitchen counter. It's it's beautiful. You can see right. it. I don't have all those magazines all over it anymore. And uh I I just think that um that's... I thought that was the studio counter, not the kitchen counter, but right. <laughs> well you know they got all these ads that follow you around. Yeah. So, like, um, Aerostitch is going to do a pop-up store. Sure. And so I had to go to their website the other day to get some information about it. And then, sure enough, as soon as I flipped my phone on, there comes the Aerostitch yeah. ad popping up, right? Well, hey, why why aren't all these um, um, big-name publications, Cycle World, Rider Magazine, right. Cruiser, whoever, how come I'm not seeing the ads popping up on my phone? Aerostitch can do it. How yeah. come they can't do it? Well, you know, these guys are dinosaurs. They are. They're barely selling digital editions right now. Yeah. And they could be making more money selling digital and just cut the print off. You know, I, I 100% agree with you. And I think um, that's one of the things, too, that is driving, you know, the next generation away a little bit is that the classic motorcycling publica publications are focusing on topics that are maybe a little too esoteric. Like, if you're a general interest motorcycle rider, you only want to read about MotoGP so much, you know. If that's yeah. if that's not at your level, it's just not going to make sense. It's going to be like you know reading blueprints. So, and if all you care about is MotoGP, right. I can tell you, you're not part of the economy of the motorcycle business because you're probably not buying much motorcycle stuff. You're you're buying airline tickets to go to Laguna Seca or whatever. Right. You're, you're not. You know. You, you, so then again, back to the manufacturers. Where's the discussion? Because they're driving, in some sense, they're driving the content for classic print magazines. Because they're the one who are the ones who are the major sponsors. Mm -hmm. So shouldn't they be saying like, "Hey, uh, 
maybe a cover that's great you're covering the racing because we're putting up sponsorship for that but we need you to sell some crf 250s as well well and they're and they're all they've always the manufacturers have always been behind the curve when yeah. it comes to digital marketing um i'm not going to name any names but pretty much you could insert any name in 2001 2002 i'm out beating the bushes with with the manufacturer saying hey i got an online magazine over here right. and you're like yeah we don't do that yeah we don't do that uh well how about uh can you do some local co-op with the dealers no we don't have a program for that and it was like well they should have been on that early and yeah. now they're just getting around so we do have manufacturers that we can do co-op stuff with with the local dealers now right but it took them so long to come around, or maybe I was just way ahead of my time. Well, I don't know. I think uh, you know history is uh, starting to show favorably in that direction because I really think that that's going to be the predominant next generation of sort of publications going to be almost exclusively online and is going to be a little bit in wider scope and is going to cover some general interest areas because there are just so many things for cho- for cons- consumers to choose from. And how to spend their time, and mm-hmm. motorcycling is going to have to be uh, get a little more innovative in taking those next steps. And it's an awesome way to spend your time. It is. And uh, uh, people are listening to the show right now, so we know they're interested in riding. Yep. And we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we've got some news bites. Support for Soundwriter and the Soundwriter Show is made possible by Skagit Power Sports. Check out the North Sound's largest selection of bikes from names like Yamaha, Kawasaki, KTM, and Suzuki. Located just off I-5 in Burlington, Skagit Power Sports also features a large selection of riding gear, apparel, and an experienced staff to help you along the way. Visit Skagit Power Sports today. Hi, I'm Dan. One of my favorite rides is Chuckanut to Bellingham at 6 a.m. or just when the sun's coming up and there's no traffic on the road. Hello, this is Bill Woods with Sodium Distortion Racing. You're here listening to The Sound Rider Show. studio on the sound rider show and rolling in from that uh, very lengthy opening segment there which i hope uh, i hope everybody got a lot out of because i really thought that was thought provoking that really gave me a lot to kind of uh, think about moving forward um but we're gonna go into news bites and we're gonna talk a little bit about some of the latest uh pieces of information that have rolled across the wire um starting with crater lake what's going on there so so hey yeah talk about uh, moving forward here's a way if you're the national park service to keep motorcycles out of your park <laughs> starting on may more. 1st crater lake will raise the motorcycle rate from ten dollars to twelve dollars per motorcycle right. so if if you and your partner show up together on separate bikes you're going to pay 45 dollars to get in and uh, the people in the car are going to pay 25 so that's, that's Did I say 45? 40. 40, right. And I think so what the previous rates were how much you said? <laughs> 10 per bike. 10 per bike. And now they are going to. Now they're going to double them. Okay. To 20. So they're going to 20. Okay. Mm-hmm. So from 10 to 20. And uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Like, why, uh, why are we picking on motorcyclists? 
So, you know, I was working out the routes for a uh, road trip and also for Sasquatch this year, which are both going down around near Crater Lake. Yeah. But uh, I purposely did not include Crater Lake in the routes because I had a feeling, knowing what they were doing up here with Mount Rainier, the Olympic Peninsula, I had a feeling they were going to jack it up down there. Yeah. And I, I can't support that. But, you know, I can understand, I mean, if, if two – Stage three Harley show up and complain and don't go into Crater Lake. I'm cool with that. Yeah, you know with that with that sure, excessive lights, exhaust yeah. Yeah. in the national park or anywhere else, frankly. Um, but you know, if I pull up on my NC700X or you pull up on your DR350, I, you know, we're, we're just getting everybody's in our pants all day long with these prices you know the impact is just too minimal there i think the pricing should be adjusted to because all these parks have walk-in slash bike-in rates like why shouldn't it be closer to a bicycle i mean you're not taking up parking space you're making uh you know egress is considerably easier for a motorcycle than it is for you know an suv why not adjust the rates to reflect that? Or why not make it for national parks a flat rate, $5 for a motorcyclist? Now, I like the way the the Canadian border does it. If you pull up on an excessively loud motorcycle, yeah. they just look at you and spin their fingers around. <laughs> Turn around, go back home. You're not coming in. I've seen it happen several times. Um, so, you know, if, if that's what they're trying to eliminate, they just need to... Just make it a decibel level just, thing. Yeah, make yeah. it a decibel level. If you pop up here and your bike is making all that noise, you're not going in the national. Yeah, but I don't think that... Is this specifically targeted towards motorcyclists, though? But Because they raise prices across the board. This is a supply and demand issue, right? They're looking at, you know, ways to restrict Yeah, but the cars the before, I think, were 20. Yeah. And now they're going to 25, and the bikes are going from 10 to 20. Yes, certainly not a, so that's not a fair increase. Somebody point a finger at motorcyclists. Right. Again, that's, you know, we talked about it earlier a little bit, or at least, uh, you know, kind of touched on that. The relationship between the outdoor world and the motorcycling world is uh, tenuous at best. So we were talking about seminars. I got some good news. Yeah, I there, saw this. Yeah, so there's going to be three seminars at Cascade Motorcycle Safety uh, up in uh, Anacortes. And uh, I'll have the date for you on that when we get to the calendar section. But uh, it was really nice to work with Jesse Murphy, who helps us out on the rally. And he puts on uh, seminars, and he puts on the Mary Hill Clinic. And uh, and now I can kind of return the favor back to him. So uh, I'll be doing three of them this spring. The first one's going to be on weather. Uh, we're going to talk about gear to wear in right. weather, layers, we're going to talk about stuff like that. We're also going to look at uh, different cloud types or ways to deal with different types of temperatures because, uh, you know, you think, well, you know, from, from April to September is a great time to ride, but you can wind up in a hailstorm, you can wind <laughs> up in 115-degree heat. So we're just going to cover all the bases on that. And then the second part of that day, we're going to uh, – open it up for an open discussion, and, and anybody who attends, they can raise their hand, and we'll talk about what they need to talk about. Well, I was very excited to see this come across the wire here and to hear that uh, you're going to get back out and hit sort of the, the touring circuit because I think that is important, and I think you've got obviously a lot of experience here. And in particular, this weather one I thought was a unique angle because we don't see enough about that. We see a lot of stuff about sort of, you know, the basics of motorcycling and introduction to uh, adventure touring, which is great, certainly if you have no experience. But weather mm -hmm. is something that can really change your game. Yeah. You know, I mean, that can really make you look at the world in a different way. 
So uh, I'm excited to see that. I know we'll have the specific date in the next segment, but that's coming up this month here in March, right? Yes, it is. Great. Let's see. Where is it? Um, I wanted to say – There it is. Sunday, uh, March 4th. There we go. You didn't have to wait. Coming up fast. Uh, well, I, th- I thought this was kind of weird when I first saw it, but um, I, the more I think about it, the more sense it makes to me. The people at Oxford uh, – well, I, I don't know if they're called Oxford heated grips. Or, I mean they make heated grips. They make the heaters products, and they make some other stuff for motorcycling. And uh, they've done pretty well with their heated grips and nice aftermarket grips that are easy to install. Right. But now they've come out with like five or six different versions of them. So there's one that's more suited for the looks of a cruiser cruiser bike, nice. a sport touring bike, a dual sport bike. And they all have something different, but it's all uh, – it's not just cosmetic. It's, it's – um, it's it's you know what type of material they're using on the grip for a dual sport is going to be different from what you're going to get on a cruiser bike. That's great. And uh, they've redesigned their thermostat <coughs> so that uh, you can finally read them in the daylight. <laughs> Which the is LEDs important. were so dumbed down you can't you'd had to like cover them over with your hand to see if it, if you had the green light on or the red light right. on. Or. That makes it a little tough. But you know that's another one of those things. Along with a little weather knowledge, some heated grips can really extend your season um, by a couple of months. Yeah, and they're nice to have anytime. Yeah, I mean, it's true. You can, get, you can go be going over the mountain pass in uh, August, and all of a sudden you want to flip them on. Yeah, I remember a few years ago riding back uh, from the rally. You know, it was like. Uh, at 90 in Hood River or whatever, and then uh, some rain came in, and I was up uh, going around the backside of uh, what Mount St. Helens, uh-huh. and um, you know it got down to like the uh, the low 50s, I think, or something like that. You know, a pretty big swing. Yeah, yeah. Could have used some heated Should grips. Flip them up. Yeah. Uh, Yamaha is going to take the FJR 1300 and uh, turn it into a police bike. Makes sense to me. And we got a huge reaction on yeah. social media about that. <laughs> there was a lot of uh, activity there, but that, that seems to make sense to me. I mean, a sport touring bike, it's got a lot of acceleration. Um, what what would be a, a better fit out of the Yamaha line? I mean, I guess you could use like a Tenere or something, but... Oh, no, that's that's a good one to do. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I don't know about the Tenere. I bet in Europe they've done a, a police bike Tenere. Right. I've seen, you know, we've seen the GS 1200s and stuff done as police bikes. Yeah. Um, not in this country, but elsewhere. Um, but, yeah, no, I think I think that's great. Yeah, Kawasaki for years made police bikes. Right. And then they kind of didn't do them for a while anymore, and then some outfit in Idaho tried to, tried to do them, and <laughs> that caused a problem. <laughs> but... Um, I, I, you know, it was, it was, you know, it, it was exciting to to me to see how many people got excited about this because yeah. who's going to get excited about a police bike? It's going to be somebody in law enforcement. Somebody, sure, you know, it's going to be these people that I'm talking about yeah. that we need to have who are the out there as riders, and and there they were. You know, I got to be honest with you. Outside of uh, you know some glancing sort of reviews of the curriculums for the the Idaho Star program, I think is based in part on. Um, on sort of the police officer riding school, right? Mm, I don't know about that. Okay. Well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But outside of that, um, I never really gave too much thought to police bikes or where they come from. But that's uh, 
that's another interesting topic that I'd kind of like to look into and see what the landscape in the United States looks like, like what bikes are being most often used as police bikes. And I know Harley for a while had quite a few. But, they, and they're back. You yeah. know, they're, they're like uh, for a while, I think um, uh, Seattle Police Department was using ST1300s right. for maybe three or four years. And then they went back to the Harley program. And these are all programs that the manufacturers come in and they say, well, you get the bike and, and you know, have, have the officers take it up to like 20000 And then you can retire it back to us and we'll give you a rebate difference back. Nice. Um, and, and then, you know, you go down here and get your service at the official OEM yeah, that makes service sense. provider. Sure. So – so they they seem to have won that again, and I see Harley's back on the streets here in town. Yeah, well, you know, going from uh, something like the uh, the thirteen hundred, um, the FGR thirteen hundred. Any chance you think we'll see Kimco making uh, police scooters in the future? I hope so. <laughs> Um, yeah, those ki- – okay, so we put some pictures up on the Facebook feed of some Kimco prototypes that are done. Uh, one of them is a three-wheeler, and the other one is just the most gothic-looking cool thing yeah, ever. Yeah, pretty innovative. And, yeah, I could see putting some LED twinkles on there. Yeah, you could just use that for, like, the beat cop. He just goes around, you know, his, like, eight-block radius on his uh, on his Kimco police bike. Yeah, and, you know, I've never seen Kimco have five recalls in one month, but Suzuki did this last month. There was a lot of recalls out in the last couple of months. Um, I think I saw Harley-Davidson recalled a few models for uh, some brake failures, right? Did you see that? Um, I, I get confused. You yeah, know? I know that Ducati so did a bunch a couple months ago. So There are a lot out there, but uh, good for Kimco. You know, I mean, they've been a pretty successful scooter brand, I think, here in the U.S., and uh, I like some of their models. I mean... You know, I'm not the uh, the biggest scooter guy, but hey, they're, they're, it's got two wheels and a motor, so it's it's fun. Well, to you're not the biggest scooter guy yet. That's true. Yeah, that's all. We'll see what the future holds. Yeah, you know, how many scooters do you need? Just one more, right? right. <laughs> all right. Um, well, well, we'll briefly touch on this, but we'll have an interview later. Um, Backfire Moto is moving to Soto area, Fourth yeah. Avenue, and uh, they'll be setting up shop outside the shop. And uh, later in the show, we've got an interview with Todd Werney to talk about the move after 10 years out of Ballard. Yeah, and uh, for those of you who are listening from outside of the Seattle area here, um, Backfire Moto is a great uh, – they do it once a month, right? Once a month. Yeah. In, in, during – between uh, March and I think it's usually October. Right, and so they were in a, a neighborhood here called Ballard, which is just a little north of downtown, and now they're moving to the appropriately named uh, Soto neighborhood, which – Depending on who you ask, I think the the general accepted uh, definition is south of downtown. Nope, south of the dome. South of the dome. Right. Yeah. It's cha- but they all right. So the kingdom. Otherwise, you call it so so dot or something. I don't know. Could but. be coming soon. But the kingdom is where the Mariners used to play, and then they tore that down. No, we blew it up. Well, they blew it up. Yeah, right, it was so. really nice. We <laughs> blew it up. Yeah. But uh, the Soto neighborhood, anyway. So it'll be great to uh, to kind of get into that uh, a little bit later in the show. Uh, KTM was uh, down here on Aurora for several years, and then they left that building and disappeared, and now they have returned on the Lake City Way over at the Noble Rush store. Uh, KTM doesn't seem that uh, to be able to be stopped lately. They seem to be uh, really growing in their network. Um, of course, they acquired Husqvarna the last couple of years, mm-hmm. and uh, like we mentioned earlier, that has been apparently very successful over the last few years. Um, Always great 
to see the brands continue to sort of represent here in Seattle. So hopefully things work out for them down at Noble Rush. Yeah, the owners will have a place to take their bikes again, so right. that'll be good. Um, well, we talked about Harley already, so we yeah. don't have to talk about that. Um, our last little news bite is I want to welcome Andy Cherney yeah. to Soundwriter. Andy is a, a nationally known writer. He's written for Cruiser Magazine. He's written for a number of other magazines. I met Andy way back in 2005 when I took a group of journalists on a tour of Washington State. And... Uh, Really great guy, a lot of fun to hang around with, and does a great job writing. Uh, we will have uh, an article from him in March about the state of Jefferson. Oh, nice. So it's also a little history lesson yeah. for anybody who doesn't know that we almost had a 51st state. Um, and then It's not uh, over yet. I think in April and May, we've got The Lost Coast, part one and part two coming. Great. Yeah, I was uh, very excited to see uh, Andy coming on board and uh, looked up some of his work and uh, really just been at it for a long time. Has a lot of experience, it looks like. So I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to see both of those articles, especially that one on uh, the proposed 51st state of Jefferson. Yeah. You never know. It might happen. Right. <laughs> All right. Let's time. take a little break and we'll come back with the calendar. Support for SoundWriter and the SoundWriter Show is made possible by... The Rally in the Gorge. Are you ready to go beyond the main roads? Since 2003, the Rally in the Gorge has introduced riders intimately to the awesome secondary and tertiary roads in the Columbia River Gorge National Scenic Area. With programs for dual sport, adventure, sport touring, and sport bike enthusiasts, this is the rally you'll want to return to again and again. For more information, visit soundwriter.com slash rally. Hi, I'm Mark from Seattle. I ride an R12GS, and I like to ride around Mount St. Helens. Hey, everybody. This is Lee from Racer Gloves USA, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. We are back on the Soundwriter Show. I'm Tom Marin, the publisher. I'm here with uh, Derek Roberts, who is, uh, I don't know, what are you? What? The powerhouse, uh, you're the turbocharger of the show, right? Let's go then. Let's get it charged. What's happening in the calendar? And, and you know, as I, as I sit here and look outside the window, it's hailing. It is hailing. What do you do when you get in hail on your motorcycle? Uh, you know, I, it depends on how sticky it is to the ground. Because yeah. if, if it starts to create ice conditions, I uh, will probably turn around and try to head back to some place until it passes. Um, but, what if it goes faster than you in that direction? Well, that's a uh, that's the million dollar question. There, you know, I have only encountered hail briefly on my motorcycle, and that's been during the summer months up at high elevations. So I was able to power through it. But uh, for extended hail, you know, that's that's a good question. And I you got knobby tires, so you're in pretty good shape. Yes. Yes. As long as it's chunky. You know, that's the thing. If it starts to get icy, that uh, affects everybody. Mm-hmm. I tend to like to pull out um, if I can. Well, and, and there again, it does depend on what tires I'm running. Yeah. Um, we're watching the rooftops turn white out They're here right now. So yeah. it's sticking. Um, I, I, 
<laughs> I will try to get out of it if I can. I, I got hailed on really bad in Idaho one day at a gas station in the middle of nowhere, which gave me ample time to fill the bike with gas. Yeah, I would imagine so. But um, then I think I just sort of had a cup of coffee and waited a while, and eventually a cloud pa- passed by, and it was uh, this was in late September, and it didn't really it wasn't too sticky, and I just went ahead and continued on. But uh, freeway. Uh, I'd be looking to get off the freeway. Well, no, but I'm saying like uh, like a, um, where you get under a freeway. Oh, an overpass. an overpass. Yeah, yeah, get under an overpass. Sure, that's a safe place to hang out. That's true. And uh, Sa- well, safe being relative speaking, right? I mean, you still have the cars going uh, going through there, so you want. Oh yeah, but I mean, you can, you can usually pull over, yeah. and then you got some protection. Or if you can get under an awning somewhere or something, but right. I, I definitely don't want to keep riding into it until it's out of there. But yeah, because you just you never know. But again, another reason maybe to uh, go and attend that upcoming weather. There seminar, you go. Right. So That's you what we'll be talking about. Predict stuff some like of that. that. What do you do when a hurricane hits? Well, I just uh, I, I try to ride back the other way. Yeah, <laughs> just ride opposite <laughs> to the cyclone. Right. That keeps you on the road. So uh, March 1st is the opening day of the Cafe to Cafe Grand Tour. Already. Getting all the packages ready. We're we're recording the show a couple days ahead here. So the packages are getting all ready. We're sending them out on uh, either the 27th or the 28th. Pretty exciting stuff. I know you've been floating uh, some teasers on uh, our social media channels there. Uh And every time I see that, I always think, man, that looks like a – it looks like another good destination. Got there. some tasty street food. We got yeah. some tasty uh, barbecue. We've got a couple of nice bistros. We've we, we've got a little bit of everything. Yeah, you got it all. That's in fact, uh, you know what? Two of the places this year are actually inside of gas stations. Really? With uh, with uh, some acclaim, I assume you're not just going to be like, "Hey, pick oh, up they're a- world famous." Yeah, don't. But it's not going to be like, "Hey, pick up a uh, a hot dog and a pack of trail mix." No, no, like no, that. no. They're there because they are very good places. So, <laughs> well, looking forward to that. I mean, it's it's hard to believe it's already back. But you got uh, March to uh, late September. Is that right? Yeah. Right on. Yeah. First of March, the end of September. Yeah. Uh, Friday, uh, March second. The Ducati Spring Opener at Moto Corsa down in Portland. Yeah. Uh, you never know. It could be hailing or snowing, but... Yeah, if you're riding from uh, up north or even if you're riding from down south, I guess. But they always seem to blow it out there at Moto Corsa, don't they? They do. They do yeah. a good job. Always been good marketers, i yeah. got to say. Uh, Saturday, March 3rd, the Northwest Wings Drill Team is having their auction and dinner. You don't have to be a member, but you can go and support them. Um, they do some pretty nice stuff. If if you know, a lot of people know who the Cossacks are. Yeah, uh, the 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 drill team that does a lot of cool stunts and uh, Northwest Wings drill team. Um, they're more. They're not really into the stunts so much. They're into showing you the ability that the motorcycle actually has that you can't even fathom. That's uh, you know, that's kind of an interesting angle because we don't uh, often think about that. What sort of the edge of the yeah. Manufacturer can you lean is, a bike, yeah. and, and we're talking gold wings. So you right. know, there's people doing stuff on gold wings. You know, oh, it embarrasses you when you yeah. think about riding on, you know, a more maneuverable or lighter bike, and you see some of these guys. Yeah, it's just you can't believe how much talent they have. One year at the rally in the gorge, we had a for the first checkpoint, everybody had to do a cone weave, and about thirty <laughs> percent were failing the cone weave, yeah. and then uh, this guy rolls up with his wife on the back, and they're on a gold wing. Right, aced it. 
just aced. It was beautiful. Well, one thing about a longtime Goldwing rider is they oftentimes have something to the tune of hundreds of thousands of miles underneath their belt. And he was a member of the Northwest uh, Wings drill team. Ah, well, thanks. (laughs) Bringing it all together. That helped. Uh, See, uh, Sunday the 4th. Boy, we better get this show put up ahead of time. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Sunday, March 4th, the Jack Frost Poker Run at Walker Valley. And, you know, I see a lot of you dual sport and adventure guys wanting to get out on single track trails and that sort of thing. Sure. Yeah, you might want to think about getting into some of these dirt bike poker runs that go on. There's a lot of them that happen. We're trying to get as many of them as we can into the calendar. Yeah. But um, that's a know, great point. A lot you know. of people want to be challenged beyond just the Forest Service roads. And that's this is true. a way to do it. And the, it's significantly different. Single track versus four service roads. So if you're out there on like <laughs> yeah. your uh, Triumph Scrambler or something like that, you might want to think twice about some of that dirt action. Well, sure. I'm glad you didn't ride the bike over here today. <laughs> Man, it is just white out it's there. It's apparently now. still winter uh, as apparently, of the recording anyway. I think, uh, I think Jack Frost is going to be ready to <laughs> roll. Uh, also on Sunday the 4th, we said it before and we'll yeah. say it again, it's the uh, seminar on the weather at the... Cascade Motorcycle Safety in Anacortes. Uh, you have to sign up ahead of time, even though it's free, right? Because we only have space for forty people. So just go online to the Cascade Motorcycle Safety website, and they have a place you can sign up. Or I know from our calendar, I think we have a direct link to the sign up page. I'm telling you, man, that's I think is really going to be packed with a lot of information. So for all of you early listeners, you know, mark that one on your calendar. Um, let's see, Thursday, starting on Thursday, the 8th of March, uh, down in Gresham, Aerostitch will have their pop-up store again. They've done this three times now down there. It seems to be successful. Must be. keep going back. Uh, and that'll run through the weekend all the way until the 11th. Uh, we have more information and a link to the specific information page on our calendar page at soundwriter.com backslash calendar. Or just click calendar when you're on the website. Where are those guys headquartered? Uh, in the Midwest. In the Midwest, right? Yeah. Is it Minnesota? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It would make sense. I mean, you need some serious protection there if you're going to ride 10 months <laughs> out of the year. <laughs> well, you know, um, the guy, Andy Goldfine, who started Aerostitch, he he built it on the the premise that if if you want to be a commuter, I'm going to help you get there. So right. he created the one piece suit that you could zip in and out of, yeah. and when you when you zipped out of it, you were in your work clothes, whatever they may be. You I didn't have to put on separate clothes right. or anything. Whether you wear a suit and tie or you're a blue collar worker at a steel factory or something, <coughs> and so um, places like Portland, Seattle. Makes sense. Uh, those are places where Aerostish likes to be. Uh, hey, it makes sense, but you must be – I mean, they must be having success. you got to be right on that because this is the third time they've been down there in just the last Yeah, and we haven't seen them so. come back to Seattle. That was one of their first ones. Yeah. But, you know, this is a tough town to set up a pop-up store in because nobody wants to drive over the – you know, it's the moated city. Yeah. So uh, where's the best place to put it where there's some parking and that sort of thing? Uh, so. I guess it's uh, Gresham, Oregon. Anyhow, um, Friday the 9th is the start of the Inland Northwest Motorcycle Show out in Spokane at the Spokane County Fairgrounds, and that'll run through the weekend ending on the 11th as well. 
Glad to see that uh, some love is being paid to that uh, region of the Pacific Northwest. Oh, yeah, they do a good job. This, you know? is, I don't know, this is like their 15th year, I think. Yeah. Um, we don't go every year, right? but we will have a booth there this year. Exciting so if stuff. There was, if there was any reason to go to the show, <laughs> it wouldn't be because you want to see all the new bikes. It's you want to go to the Soundrider booth. Yeah. Well, looking forward to a report on that when you get back in uh, the April episode. Uh, well, this will sound repetitive. Uh, Wednesday, March 14th, back Fire Moto at their new location in Georgetown. Yeah, and we'll dive into that, of course, a little bit later. Yep. Um, Saturday is March 17th, so you got to wear your green motocross gear. But this will be the uh, Dirty Poker Run out in uh, Vantage area. And, uh, you know, it's a little early for a dirt bike poker run. Well, evidently not. But I went last year, yeah. and uh, I didn't take a bike. We went in a UTV and had a great time. Um, and that happens both uh, Saturday, well, I guess they say Sunday, but I think most people pack up and go home Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, Get out there and find your own pot of gold, right? It is a fun event. Yeah. And if you do have a UTV, you can take a UTV and they have a night ride you can go on with your UTV. I like to see that, you know, people being a little more creative in setting up some of these runs. And, hey, you know, if you've got the opportunity to ride some trails and, you know, there's a lot of people out there who might not be able to handle sort of dual sport adventuring anymore, let them take their UTVs out, be part of the community. Yep. Uh, and coming up in April, just want to do the heads up here early because this is a big event. Uh, Saturday, April 7th, will be the Desert 100. Uh, only trouble with that one this year is that Supercross is down at the Century Link Field on Saturday night. Interesting. So you're kind of going to have to... Uh, Pick one. You're going to have to pick one, yeah. but I want to hear about the guy who went and rode the Desert 100 on Saturday, rode back to Seattle, went to Supercross, and yeah. rode back out to the Desert 100 and did the Sunday events. Yeah. I want to hear about that guy. Is that, gonna, is that guy going to be you this year? You no, gonna be- <laughs> it's not going to be me. <laughs> April 7th, My though. air filter can't handle the Desert 100. That would be a, uh, a lot for the old uh, NC 700, that's for sure. Well, we're, uh, we're going to keep watching snow here. We're going <laughs> to take a little break, and when we come back, we've got a couple interviews. Support for the Soundwriter Show is provided in part by Rock Straps. Tired of bungee cords that fray and break? You need to up your game with the number one tie-down among riders. Rock Straps make it easy to get the right fit, no matter how large or small the load you're securing. Order a pair today from the Soundwriter store at store.soundwriter.com. I'm Roy Barnes. I ride a BMW F650GS uh, 2009 with 130-some thousand miles on it. My favorite ride is wherever the road goes. Hi, my name is Russ. I'm with Trail Tale, and welcome to the Sound Rider Show.
are back on the Soundwriter Show. A uh, big change happening up here in the Pacific Northwest. One of the biggest bike nights in the area, Backfire Moto, is moving to the Soto District. And uh, we've got uh, two guys at the heart of it right here, right now. Todd Werney and Sean Westlake are joining us along with Derek. Yeah, so great to have uh, both of you guys here on uh, the Sound Rider Show. So first of all, because we have people who listen really all over the world. You know, we try to focus on the Pacific Northwest. But if I were to ask you guys, and either one of you can field this, just tell me, what is Backfire Moto? I've been there personally, but maybe, uh, maybe you can lead us in with that a little bit, Todd, and let us know. What is Backfire Moto? Okay, first, uh, hey, everybody. And uh, number two, uh, uh, Sean Dunlap is the third co-founder, and I just wanted to say he couldn't make it today. But, yeah, the three uh, yeah. of you guys, sure. But just, it's a good call-out. It's a team effort, right? right? So yep, we want to yep. make sure that he's included there. But, yeah, tell us, what's, what's Backfire Moto? Uh, you know, Backfire Moto, I mean – it's a lot of things that a lot of different people, uh, you know, for us, well, let's just say what we wish it would be for other people would be a place to show up and, uh, uh, meet other motorcyclists and, yeah. uh, uh, who have similar, hopefully similar, uh, interest as you and, uh, just maybe meet your friends there. It's, uh, you know, network, talk about bikes, see other bikes. Uh, that's a big part of it is just, you know, walking around, looking at all the, uh, uh, bikes and other builds and things and, you know, seeing what other people are into. And, uh, uh, basically, uh, just a, it's it a, should, shouldn't be like a giant, like ordeal to go to it. We always want it to be something that's kind of just like a, uh, uh, you know, you can go there, yeah. you don't have to stay all night. It's not, a, you don't have to drive them, uh, you know, to another city to go to it and, or, you know, just go there see your friends, meet some new people, uh, get your, your monthly fill or probably doesn't, most people can't, that's not enough for one month, but, uh, get your fill of motorcycles for the night and, uh, uh, move on, go to work the next day. Well, you see, that's the thing I love about it. Cause I've been there several times and it's very, it's very an open community oriented event and it's about motorcycling, you know, and it's not something where you have to, we all like to do, you know, those certain events where maybe we go for a weekend and that's our summer trip, but it's nice to have something that is regularly sort of evolving that you can go to once a month. It doesn't take a lot of planning. You've got your chain looped and you go, ah, it's a beautiful day. I'm going to go formally ride down to Ballard. We'll talk about the move here in a second, but that's what I really love about it is it seems to be very inclusive and would you say that that's kind of the emphasis is, hey, you got a motorcycle, you're in the club. Come on down and hang out. That's what we want it to be is just have a good time and celebrate, you know, life on two wheels. Yep. Uh, I would say that's true. You know, it's been 10 years. So uh, initially, uh, it's not like we ever said we don't want to include anybody, but initially it was more super focused on the cafe racer and the sure. rat bike and vintage, mm-hmm. you know. And now uh, being into it this many years, we kind of realize, you know, number one, people – you might have each one of those bikes or you might have none of those bikes and you just want to show up. You might not even have a motorcycle. You just want to show up and like see what's going on with motorcycles. And, uh, I've just personally learned, you know, I've become a lot more open-minded about just what motorcycling is really about. And, you know, for me it's turned, I'm not saying it's for everyone, but it's turned more into a, uh, like you were saying, an all inclusive event, Yeah. but we never cut anyone out of it. But, you know, in order to keep it kind of focused on, what we thought was our brand of motorcycling, we kind of uh, label it uh, vintage. Yeah. Well, uh, you know. well, I think that's an interesting point because, you know, for me, when I got started in motorcycling, it was about dual sporting. 
And then quickly you start to realize that you start to meet guys who have been in the sport longer than you, and you go, oh, wait a minute. You own a sport touring bike and a cafe racer and a classic, and you quickly realize the overlap. And and all of a sudden it becomes like – that's one of the things that I really love about motorcycling and the event is that you realize that there's there's not a lot of difference oftentimes amongst us, right? And you take something as simple as motorcycling and you go, hey – Actually, everybody's just out here to have fun and have a good time. A lot of people are wrenching on their bikes. And uh, I know for a lot of Seattleites in particular, cafe racing, that style is their introduction. And that's like a gateway drug, right? And then all of a (laughs) sudden you start looking around and you feel like, hey, man, like there's a lot more to it. I want to get a sport bike and I want to get a dual sport bike. Has that been the experience for you two personally? I mean, where did you guys get started in the world of motorcycling? I mean, what's, what's kind of your history as far as being riders? You want to say so, something? Well, uh, yeah, jump on <clears throat> in here, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> One thing uh, we're in a, a motorcycle club uh, called the Cretans, and uh, and uh, you know we would drive, we put these cafe racers together, and sure, r- ride around. And one thing that got me super interested in working, you know, Todd, Todd, it was Todd's concept. And uh, you know, one thing that he talked me into that I thought was cool is like, you know, you wave to all these people you, that we, you know, we have a group of guys we hang out with, right? But you uh, wave to a guy going by and like, man, I wish I could meet that guy, but he's already already gone. So yeah. like, Todd was like, well, we should have an event, and then maybe that guy'll show up, and we can meet this guy that we never, you know, because you know, get to meet other riders and stuff. So that's what took me on the event. And yeah, we, you know, and, and uh, I don't think we ever plan on being, you know, as big as it is. We it was mainly, you know, focused. Yeah, yeah. Well, focused. I, I could attest to that. What you're saying about you see the guy go by and you want to talk to him, but he's gone. Yeah. Uh, that guy who goes to backfire fairly regularly with the Durantler hand shifter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wanted to meet that guy so bad the yeah. day I saw him. It was in the middle of winter, and I thought, I want that guy's bike in the Soundwriter display at the next motorcycle right. show. And I never saw him again until I got to backfire one night, and there he was. Yeah. So that was a, the, the whole thing that appealed to me. It was getting to meet that guy that you just – give you know like that guy's here cool bike yeah Yeah, well it's amazing that you've been able to maintain that ethic too for a decade because you know it's 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 so often you know and things are always evolving but it seems like the spirit is still very true to what it was when you guys started up a decade ago have you noticed really any difference you know as far as you know sort of that ethic is concerned over i mean how have things changed things changed for you guys in that respect i don't notice uh I don't think it's changed that much. I think people uh I was kind of surprised at how positive people were. I always was wor- wor- worried that it would be that would get uptight, but it, people have always been so I've, maybe it's the northwest, but it's very uh uh welcoming. Everyone's just guys are really not everyone, but 99.9% of the people have a very positive uh you know, demeanor at the event and uh originally a lot of women have said they've been uh really pleased at how accepting everyone is of uh women riders which they say i never experienced it but other events they're like we're not welcome there which i don't know what they're talking about sure but but, uh that's another really positive thing we've heard uh well i think that's i mean that's fantastic to hear and that's actually something that we've noticed here at sound rider um is the change we actually have a a very big increase over the last four or five years in women readership that's great and women ridership and when we talk about something like cafe racers too, again being a gateway drug, oftentimes they're a little bit lower, so that's a great sort of first mile oh, for right. people who are a little bit shorter. Yeah. And then you start yeah, going. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> or, or for you know guys <laughs> like Sean as well, but uh, or someone who's like as tall as Wilt Chamberlain. Which is me. <laughs> right. Just kidding. Yeah. 
the magic of uh, podcasting <laughs> there, right? I like yeah. that. But uh, let's let's talk a little bit then about the move because again, just to kind of give some context for people outside of the Seattle area here, uh, Ballard is a neighborhood that has, depending on your perspective, either taken off or gentrified quite a bit over the last decade, and things are becoming a little bit more crowded. And I know I had read the post on the uh, Backfire Moto blog, the website that said, "Hey, you know, it's getting big and parking is getting kind of more of a hassle, so we need to we need to find a place that's a little more." Again, I guess welcoming, right, to, to more motorcycle riders. So you guys decided to make the move. You're going to go from the Ballard area, which is just a little north of downtown, to Soto. And we referenced this a little earlier in the show. What uh, inspired that? Well, uh, like you were just saying, uh, the I wouldn't say the gentrification part is, although, you know, the whole city is, you know, yo, I don't want to get in the whole right. Not, Seattle, not but, the same town I remember yeah, 20 years ago. It's exactly, changing, exactly. yeah. And... Uh, I wouldn't say it's more the parking. I mean, for us, it's you can't have the event without place to park your bike, and uh, just the, and it's really not. I mean, I don't even see the people of Ballard making the choices of changing the parking uh, meters and the parking zones, and uh, it's really. I don't see how. I mean, I I live there. I don't have any say in it, as far as I can tell. Except sure. I've been to meetings, and the people they say, you know, well, we're going to keep keep your opinion in mind when we make our decision like, okay great that sounds very promising but uh that's but, the same thing that the manufacturers tell me when i try to get them to make a 500 cc dual sport motorcycle <laughs> in stock go, yes thank you we'll keep your opinion in mind but uh, right on their hand. yeah <laughs> uh but uh yeah at first the meters went in on ballard ave which caused uh everybody who works there or lives there which are a lot of people do had to park somewhere, so they parked either on Shilshoal or up uh, off past Leary, where we were. Sure. And uh, that and that immediately we started noticing it. You know, we'd show up to start backfire at like 3 or 2, and uh, there'd be no parking. And it wouldn't be till about uh, 5 or 6 where some of the parking would start opening up, but people were just riding in circles and looking for spaces. And, uh, and then, uh, so the last couple of years, it's been pretty pretty hard to find parking we did it i mean people were able to do it but right. but uh it wasn't easy and it definitely start people were you know mentioning to us a lot and uh the next thing uh that happened this year and it's just going into effect is the burke gilman uh uh the bicycle trail yeah, the, here right yeah the connect or the yeah uh the last part of the burke gilman trail which is going to take uh, a big portion of Shilshul. I, mean, I think all the parking on the railroad track side of Shilshul is going to be uh, gone, which is hundreds of spaces, mm. which means those people have to park somewhere. who yeah. normally park there, and that that would go into into uh, right where we were, probably in Ballard or in uh, on that side of Leary. And then, last but not least, another factor was the uh, uh, there's a giant what I think is going to be a condo project going on on the property between. Uh, what is it, uh, 59th and what is it? Is right, it? down in there. Well, and that's what we've so, seen. You know, It's been apartments up until now that have been kind of changing. 49th that, but, and 50th, yeah. Right. So, yeah. And that's going to – when that construction starts, there's going to be that whole area, which is where uh, near the dirt exchange area where we used to park on the side. That's right. Gone, which I, I heard it's supposed to happen very soon, but I, I want to like start you know, with – developments you don't really know when it's going to start but sure that's so what we heard. so yeah. ultimately you figure hey uh if we go to south seattle we'll know we'll have a good solid 18 months before they start developing condos and uh, <laughs> yeah. an apartment yeah. out there, right so yeah, yeah. 
but industrial what about, lofts. Yeah, but you know that's obviously part of the joy of Backfire Moto is that you get to interact with the bikes. And when you have when parking becomes an issue and people start to spread out, it doesn't become an event. It becomes a, a, a collection of several independent groups. But you don't have that problem right now down at the shop which yeah. is in South Seattle, right? right? What's the layout like there for you guys? What are you anticipating? And have we, we haven't had one at the shop yet, right? No, We're no. expecting the first one in March this month. Yeah. Right. So what's the yeah. layout going to be like there? Yeah, uh, March 21st. March 21st. Come yeah, on, right, just a couple of weeks if you're listening. Yeah, give it the, give it the <laughs> plug. Good call, Sean. But uh, what do you think uh, the layout is going to be like there? Let me see. Uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, uh, first of all, they have their own parking, which is, you know, will never be infringed upon because it's a bunch of acres of parking there i don't know how many acres it is or if it's an acre but uh it is a lot of parking and it fit a lot of uh hundreds of bikes just on the property and then of course the the industrial zone empties out at like between four and five so from people who work till five and get off early or whatever but right. but that whole street which is a long strip between streets is going to be you know open for parking plus across the street and uh uh we kind of in our opinions, it's going to be about the same amount of parking as as in Ballard, but some of it is completely secure, like no one will ever block it off. Right, a little more yeah. consolidated, too. Do, yeah. do you anticipate anything like, I mean, with like Mariners games and that kind of stuff, do you anticipate any changes in, you know, or any challenges with the traffic down there? It'll be a little bit different, obviously mm. much less co- congested than Ballard, yeah. but what, uh, uh, what's been kind of your thought on that? Uh, I looked over the, the, uh, the calendar, and it appears to me as though there's only going to be two dates that are going to uh conflict which would be april 18th and may uh, well april i think april 18th and whatever one it is in may uh, gotcha and both of those you know the april 18th game is at 7 p.m which means most people will, are, will already be there and then uh you know backfire attendees and then uh in may it was a 12 o'clock game so uh you know, yeah. par- most people already be you know parked, and it's, I don't you know two out of twelve isn't going to be a big problem. In fact, one thing is we have indoor. We also have indoor uh, areas there where we can park bikes and have you know whatever we want, like a band. We can do an art show, which we plan on doing. Great, uh, kind of moto inspired uh, lifestyle art uh, <clears throat> kind of formatted stuff in the indoor areas and. Uh, so if it's pouring rain, we can still do it. While before we couldn't at all, you know, we could do it, but it was, you know, hampered massively. So that yeah. that oh. brings up something that I kind of want to. Oh, one quick thing on the the parking and yeah. the games and all that. Uh, you know, talking to the owner, uh, it's actually far enough out of the way where people don't, you know, people aren't parking over there. It's like Sixth Avenue and Holgate. So, right. So that's a that's a positive, and then Absolutely. you know, no one's like way over there. I mean, it might be a little hard to get. From Bauer to backfire, but that's the nature yeah, of Seattle, though. But that's, we we're going to open up West Seattle and White Center. And that's Beacon a great Hill point. You know, a lot that. of people that may, because, may we just get them to close down ninety nine and motorcycles only. <laughs> yeah, yeah now go. we're talking. That's the uh, what we should put forward yeah. here. It's so, uh. Okay, did you want to say something? I was going to ask you guys actually because I know you guys are both entrepreneurs, right? Mm-hmm. And Sean, you own uh, the Fuse Box, which is a uh, which called a, a local bar or tavern. Yeah, what your preference it's is? Kind there. of a motorcycle. Tavern, yeah, yeah, it was just kind of uh, like you said, themed in the uh, in the motorcycle yeah. fashion. That's uh, in uh, Seattle here, just off of ninety nine yeah. Aurora Avenue. Yeah. And then, uh, Todd, you own, um, I guess, what's the best way to describe Space Oddity? It's, uh, vintage furniture store, right? Yeah. So you guys are both entrepreneurs, and now you're working with the shop, which is another group of entrepreneurs right. here. I- I'm always amazed when these sort of organic events, like uh, you know, like Backfire Moto, 
they come about and there doesn't seem to be any other motive other than the fact that you guys want to have a good time. But have you given any thought to, you know, what you expect from Backfire Moto now with the new move and, you know, into the next four or five years? Oh, come on, Derek. That's a trick question. I only had 10 years to think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm always, I am curious though, you know, because obviously um, it draws a big crowd, a crowd that's interested in motorcycles and that sort of thing. And I wonder, you know, it seems to me that the motivation for you guys is just sort of pure enjoyment, but, you know, what's, what's behind it a little bit? Well, one thing you could say, uh, you know, our initial agenda, which was at least big part of it, was, you know, promoting uh, the rat bike and the cafe racer sure. and vintage bikes, which it does, I mean, it, to us, it sort of seems like uh, that mission has been accomplished. I mean, maybe to other people from other cities or, uh, I don't know, other uh, local areas might not agree, but uh, we feel like the cafe racer is pretty commonplace now, and it's it's not like something you have to be like, rallying behind to to get it noticed in the motorcycle that's world. that's true so uh that being said i uh you know like you maybe we can relax a little bit but uh but the city's changing so much i think that uh and the whole world is changing so much and they say you know motorcycles are uh are suffering well the, the industry's suffering yeah possibly because millennials aren't riding as much i'm not sure but uh that's what i've heard and uh I don't know. Maybe the new mission is just promote motorcycles in general. Well, that's yeah. that's that's a fantastic segue, actually, and something that we have talked about a lot on the show, and we we talked about it a little bit earlier today, actually, is reaching that next generation and kind of the place that um, events like Backfire Moto and publications like Soundrider, mm-hmm. the role and the responsibility of you know communicating that to the next um, generation. And that's why specifically I ask about sort of the motivations and, you know, what you guys think about letting, you know, outside people not necessarily have influence or control, but take part just to kind of broaden that community. I mean, is that something that you've ever given thought to? I think we thought about that quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I I think maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe we've talked about it, but we want to add maybe another dimension to the backfire where we can start creating more events for people. I mean, other stuff, you know, like. You know, like, well, that's one of my motivations, but, like, I want to, like, get rides and I'd like camp to offer a suggestion. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm getting really into motor, like, vintage motor, uh, like, enduro and nice. camping. And yeah. Mountain Rainier and beautiful mountains and stuff. I wanted to ride around on little bikes. Speaking and, my language. I ride yeah. a DR350. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I take yeah, it yeah. all over the place. Yeah. 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 So, so if you know a lot of stuff like that, I'd love to talk to you about that because that's what I'm getting into. Yeah. And, like, just camping and, you know, I don't know. So. Yeah. And not super hard stuff because a lot of people that are... Just getting into into it. Don't want to have to be like, oh, I'm, I'm riding with Mister, you know, 100 yeah. million jumps. I want to like, you know, I want to like, yeah, I got fun and like maybe a little 125, 175, yeah, 250 well, we, or something. I, I, I want to throw out one idea here, and, and I, I, I'm sure you guys have mulled this over, but I think I've dumbed it down where it's reasonable. So it's a request from me. <laughs> we don't have a motorcycle show anymore in Seattle. So what if one of the backfire motos a year, not everyone. But one of them, you did a feature where people could come in and do ten by ten tents, and be you know might be Soundrider, might be Rich's custom seats, it might <laughs> be uh, low side towing. Everybody can get in there, and and that way all these people know these services exist, and they can ask questions, and they learn a little something about some of these people who do business here in the city. But right now they don't have a place to showcase. Uh, we're definitely 
I weren't talking about that, exactly what you're saying in particular, but uh, we're definitely got some things planned that are uh, a ways to allow because we were basically 100% no vendors before, and uh, there are ways to like uh, you know because now we have an indoor area and uh, we can set things up you know a week ahead of time if we want. We can you know before we had to set up on the street like an hour before, yeah. so now we have options of like you know just possibly opening doors a little bit to that we don't want to say anything and you know but uh it's definitely just possibly uh, in the works watch yeah. our watch yeah. our page on the website and okay yeah and yeah. that's that it's is not, it's definitely something yeah well it's a fine line to walk yeah. for you guys right yeah. because you've been kind of you know you've organic yeah well and you yeah. started this thing as a as a sort of a gesture of goodwill and then all of a sudden you're kind of the custodians of that goodwill right and you have to make sure that you can manage that um effectively to date, obviously, you guys have done a fantastic job. You know, I go down to a backfire motor night maybe a couple of times every year, and uh, I love it. You know, I first went on there on my KLR 250, and now I go down there on my <laughs> DR 350. Yeah, nice. And uh, I never fell out of place as a dual sport guy that's in my great. dual sport suit. Uh, I always loved it. But, um, you know, I, I think that's great to hear that you guys are uh, very much thinking about how to be part of the community and to get people out and try new things, like you mentioned, Sean, getting out and doing some enduro riding, some yeah, dual yeah. sport riding. Yeah, I, think right. that's, yeah. I think that's awesome. I got one more question. We're running a little long. Sure. So, um, my last question is, um, in Ballard, there was probably three or four different establishments that serve food. And down at the shop, I believe there's only one in the area that serves food. Have you guys worked out, like, uh, you're going to get a couple of food trucks down yep, there? Yep, exactly. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. we, uh, uh, we're going to have, you know, at least two food trucks. And then uh, uh, Derby is the restaurant that's inside the shop, which they have uh, promised to make, you know, to be uh, very welcoming to us and make sure they make, you know, beer specials and fast, you know, Fast order food like burgers and dogs and just mm-hmm. stuff that people can just get and not be uh, bogged down with waitresses and all that kind of which, stuff. Which will be out will probably be outside. You oh, know. okay. So, so we've worked it out where we're going to spread it out so it's actually a, you know you can walk around and you're not just stuck going like I have to go into this bar or this restaurant. You're, in, you're right. outside. You get to see your bike, you know, and then the food trucks will be spread out enough where you you know, and then it's going to be like pretty close, you know. Yeah. Well, vibe. hey, you know, and the thing is, I I think you, I'm sure you guys know this better than anyone. Motorcyclists are uh, are very relaxed for the most part, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, just, you grow it, you evolve it, you figure out what works, and you've got, if, if they don't like it, they didn't have to go. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. And you've got such a <laughs> yeah. uh, such a phenomenal, I think, platform down there, and I'm I'm really looking forward to the move. But uh, you know, just to wrap things up, why don't we get uh, the website and then again that date for the the next Backfire Moto? So, and by the way, I announced it wrong on the calendar. It's the 21st of March. And That's I right. The 14th. Yeah. Re- we'll reinforce that. But Sean, maybe you can tell me the uh, the website for Backfire Moto. Uh, Backfire Backfiremoto.com. www.backfiremoto.com. There you go. And I know you and guys. Third Wednesdays of every month, people that send us emails, when's Backfire? Which Wednesday? <laughs> it's like third Wednesdays of every month. <laughs> From right? March, March to October, right? Oh, we've been, we're actually, now that we have the indoor area, yeah. oh, you might keep going. We're going yeah. 12 yeah. months out of the year, okay. probably. As far as we know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. The address is 2233 6th Avenue South. That's. Uh, in Soto, and yeah. it's only seven miles away from the former backfire location. So, yeah. all if, of you—if I was a bird, 
Yeah, if you were broke. <laughs> 7.5 on the viaduct, if you take that, or 99, okay. but it's really uh, not that far away, so... And if it's you're nice coming ride. up from Portland, it doesn't make any any right. difference, yeah. right? So just yeah. get out there and ride anyway. Well, I think you'll get a lot more people from the south end now who wouldn't, you know, try to get through Seattle traffic to get to Ballard. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, and hey, twelve months a year. Obviously, you guys would love it if people came and joined every one. But if you can only make two or three a year, make it an event, right? Yeah. Come yeah. out, yeah. go to the Mariners game, go to Backfire, ride some motorcycles, enjoy life. Can I but, say one uh, quick thing before you end it? Yeah. Check our website as much as you can because we are updating it all the time as yeah. far as like changes and like like you're talking about people that might be interested in showing off their motorcycles or yeah. all that kind of stuff. We're gonna be adding that. So it's it's kind of important. And our magazine, the zine. Yeah, our magazine. Our motorzine. We have a little, little zine Fantastic. Going yeah. Also thank you guys so much for having us and yeah. I really appreciate everything. Oh, you thanks for coming too. down and doing this with us. Yes, yeah, so we want to thank both of you, Todd Werney and uh, Sean Westlake of Backfire Moto. Guys, thanks so and much for being on the show. Sean Dunlap. And Sean Dunlap, right, yep. the third, uh, <laughs> the invisible man. But yeah. hey, thanks for coming on the show, and I hope to see you down at uh, at uh, the next Mar- uh, next backfire motor night on March twenty first. Thank you. Thanks. Support for the Soundwriter Show is provided in part by Valentine Motorworks, Seattle's independent service shop specializing in BMW motorcycles and beyond. Call or visit them to discuss your next service or restoration project soon. Find them online at valentinemotorworks.com. Hi, my name is Steve. I live in Edmonds, and one of my favorite places to ride on my GS adventure is up the Pyramid Pass. Hi, this is Dave Sweezy from Psycho Wipes, and you're listening to the Soundwriter Show. into the closing segment here on this March episode of the Sound Rider Show. And I want to thank our guests, of course, for coming in. Um, also want to get to some tips and tricks, man. I mean, that's what we like to close with here, Tom. And I know that you've been sitting on a good one for, uh, for this March episode. Oh, I don't know how, how good it is. But, <laughs> but uh, it might help one guy. I, I like to know. set the expectation, though. <clears throat> so here we are at spring, and some of us have had the, the bikes in the garage for a few months. And it's time to uh, get them ready. And go through them and check them out. Yep. Well, don't do it the morning before your first ride. And don't do, even do it the day before your first ride. Do it like a week or a few days ahead of time. Absolutely. Get those, air, those tires aired up and then check them the day of the ride because you know what happens to tubeless tires sometimes in the cold? Well, that's, the that's, seals fail. Yeah. And so I would say air them up, take them for a ride, maybe one to five miles, and then check them a few days later when you're really going to go for the first ride. That's my tip. I think that's, uh, of course, that's an excellent tip. You know, you got to be a little bit ahead of the curve here because we talked about it a little bit earlier. When those sunny days come, you got to get out there, man. You yeah, you don't want to find it. out you have a dead battery. Yeah. The morning you're supposed to go meet all your buddies at Crane Corner for pancakes? Yeah, you don't want to be that guy who rolls in late and can only have a cup of coffee as the uh, the crew is rolling out and getting on to the next destination. You want to be you want to be the early one. Yeah, you don't want to be the guy walking into the restaurant asking anybody if they got jumper cables. Right. That's not you. <laughs> An excellent point. Mine is a little bit related to that. 
And uh, mine was kind of inspired by uh, the month of February here. I went out and I kind of – I made myself get out and ride. We had a couple of nice days. We had a couple of not-so-nice days. But you know what I thought? I got to get out there. So mm-hmm. I, I got on the, the long underwear and the full suit and I had you know the scarf on and the gloves and everything. And I got out there. I had a great time. So my tip this month is get out there because it's not so bad. No. You know, and that's what uh, sometimes you don't ride the bike for, you know, six months, two or six months, six weeks, two months during the wintertime. And you start thinking like, eh, I don't want to get out there. I got to pull my gear out and everything. But just keep that in mind. It's not so bad. So get out there, get suited up and make the most of March because you're going to have some uh, some cold weather days. But it doesn't mean that they're not going to be riding days. I totally agree. Yeah. All right. So that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our guest today. And uh, I want you to ride safe. I want you to ride well and ride often. On the Sound Rider Show, we will see you in April. The Sound Rider Show was made possible by today's sponsors and the patience of everyone else involved, which is not to say we're doctors. Reproduction of this program in part or in whole is not legal without the express written consent of the podcast owner. But please be sure to share the link with all your Facebook friends. This program is a production of Mixed Media. The content and views of today's guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any major media conglomerate anywhere else in the world, including CBS, NBC, ABC, MotoGP, the BBC, PBS, NPR, the Discovery Network, or the Cartoon Channel. See you next time on the Sound Rider Show.